0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Dose Nation. I'm your host, Jake Kettle, and thank you all for joining us, as always. And with me here, as always, is founder of DoseNation.com, author of Psychedelic Information Theory, and uh, host, of of course, of the podcast,
1: James Kent. James, how are you today? I'm doing good, Jake. Thanks. Uh, Still trying to uh, get out from under the winter weather, like everybody here. Oh, man. uh, You got hit in Seattle, too? It's just raining now. It's just raining buckets. But yeah, we had snow this week.
0: Oh yeah, it's actually I'm 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 looking out my window as I do the podcast today and I'm uh and it's just, you know, snow everywhere on the trees and it's a, it's kind of nice, but, you know, uh it's it's a it's a hell of a time getting out of your driveway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a crazy weather. Uh this will be a year to remember for the record books and uh yeah, all around the world people are having crazy weather this year, so um it seems like every time i turn on the news that's all they're talking about so hey welcome to Destination. here's the weather report
0: (laughs) yeah no i know hey yeah okay great yeah well no well i mean because it's 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 bad people are stuck inside they uh you know they can't get to different places there are people who are without power
1: and well it's the the airline industry is really taking a hit too because of all the canceled flights yeah and uh you know uh, th- but see that's millions of dollars being wasted but the podcasting wasting... industry
0: now on on the on the other hand when people are stuck inside <laughs> that's good for the podcasting industry you see
1: people <laughs> sit around and listen to podcasts exactly all day. yes
0: yeah so well, the weather outside is frightful <laughs> but james kent's insights are delightful <laughs> <laughs>
1: and jay kettles oh all high
0: in the snow no anyway. and uh i wanted
1: to <laughs> once again thank uh father nicholas buxton for coming on and talking with us because um you know when you talk about religion and especially uh, modern religion and things you know people get people get have all sorts of um hot button uh issues and they get passionate about certain things and uh having talked with father nicholas on a couple different occasions that guy is just so smart and just so keyed in um it's really great to have him come on and just sort of talk to us and, you know, set me straight about some things that I was maybe a little confused about. And, uh, hopefully our listeners enjoyed it as well.
0: Yeah. And, and, and let me say this about father Nicholas. This is, this is, he is, he is incredibly busy. So I, Oh yeah, Yeah, I mean, I mean, so for him to take time out of, out of his schedule to, uh, to talk to us is really great. So, you know, I always appreciate the time that we get with him And, uh, like i said he's coming out with a book specifically on meditation because i know that a lot of people are interested in that subject especially a lot of our listeners and uh if you liked his other book or if you liked our shows with him he's coming out with a with a new book um and like i said so. before
1: he was he was an a man who um in his younger days was you know um maybe an alcoholic a dr- multi substance drug abuser uh spent many years on the spiritual path studying monasticism and wound up you know a holy man basically so um there's a lot to be learned from his life lessons i think
0: yeah i very much agree yeah um so uh, you you were uh before the show we were talking a little bit and uh and and you brought up uh a subject of the of this of, of i mean Rest in peace, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I did like your movies, especially right. the one with, um, uh, what, was, what was the one? I cannot remember. The Master, that was the name of it. The Master, yes. Yeah, that was really great with um. Right, which and... may
1: be, it may be um, you know, in retrospect, his, his best movie. Re- I mean, his, you think so? His, his masterpiece. Well, he was definitely the star of that movie. Oh, um, sure. And he, the character he played in that movie was just uh, so complex and unusual. Uh, like Philip Seymour Hoffman himself. We uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman's deaths earlier in January because uh, we were on hiatus because of some technical difficulties and weather difficulties, etc. And uh, then we had Father Nicholas scheduled. So we wanted to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about the Philip Seymour Hoffman thing, uh, his death, uh, the heroin overdose, and uh, all of the heroin that they found. At his apartment. I think it was like 50 bundles of heroin, something like they call it packets or bags or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. And um, since then, and it continues to go on. I keep seeing news stories on this every every couple days. This this news story of the heroin epidemic that's sweeping the United States uh, continues on and on. There's like a drumbeat about the heroin epidemic right now in the news following philip seymour hoffman's death and it comes out every once in a while and the story goes like this people people that you wouldn't imagine being heroin addicts that is not poor homeless people. No, like lawyers and bankers. And, <laughs> normal people. Yeah. Normal people. Uh, I mean, homeless people are normal people too. I'm saying, these <laughs> are, you know.
0: What? You um, know what? No, wait, wait. Back up. People, James. Are people you discriminating
1: here? People of means, people with jobs, young people, intelligent people, people in school who you don't think would be addicted to heroin are finding themselves addicted to heroin because oxycodone pills are freely available, people get on the pill circuit. Pills become too expensive, they realize that if they buy heroin, they can get, you know, the same high for half or a third the price, and they become addicted to heroin, and then they're on the heroin train, and then before you know it, they're dead, or, you know, in rehab. And that's you know that's a real that is a real narrative that happens to a lot of people, and it's
0: um, and it's going on among young people today too as well. I mean I mean especially among young people. I mean just just out of the people that I know uh, from from a from a small social group now now as you know people are people are getting into their mid twenties and so on is that you know I'm finding that as I meet some of these people again they're using heroin or they were on heroin or they say, oh, yeah, I was in rehab for a year, you know, and I had to, you know, get get myself together, I was, you know, for the pills and heroin and all this other kind
1: of stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, it is, it does happen and it is more common. And I wanted to kind of make a point here because uh, I've been going back in my mind over this in history and I it may take a little time for me to work through this entire point and I'm going to come back around to it eventually. But what I want to say is that heroin kills scenes. What do you mean? It doesn't just kill people. It kills scenes. Okay, so what happened to the hippies of the 1960s? Oh, they were yeah, the, the free heroin. Free love, yeah. drugs, mind expansion, experimentation, social experimentation, new ways of living, better living through chemistry, etc. And then there was a heroin epidemic. And a lot of the hippies who had, you know, smoked marijuana and done LSD and thought that they were immune to any kind of drug addiction, suddenly heroin hit the scene, and hippies became junkies. And this didn't, I mean, I'm not saying that all hippies became junkies, but once heroin got mixed into that social scene, it wasn't just about groovy love and freedom. It became about sticking up, you know, sticking needles in your arms. And, um, you know, f- people started started dying left and right. Well, really, and in that's every... And not a groovy peace and love scene. That's, you know, that's a train-spotting, gnarly... No, it is, and train-spotting uh, was a... Vomiting, you know, uh, choking movie. on your own vomit kind of scene.
0: But, you know, and I, and, and I think that that happens, I think, in every, not generation, but in every decade that, you know, that has a scene, let's say, you know the Well, same thing. you
1: would you would think, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep moving this thought a little bit forward. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um kind of pushed me out of the Grateful Dead scene and uh, Sheldon Norberg and I had talked about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Sheldon Norberg is, um, he's an author and a speaker. He wrote um a book called uh, I'll, I'll come back to it, but he uh he talks about in his book uh, Confessions of a Dope Dealer. Uh, he wrote this how he used to be a deadhead. You know, our kids growing up in the in the 1970s uh, who weren't hippies, when it got to be, you know, the 80s and 90s, the scene that was left over from the 60s was these, this Grateful Dead family. There's the Rainbow family and the Grateful Dead tribe. And people who were drawn to that hippie culture, that 60s, uh, Tim Leary, Ken Kesey, Mary Prankster's electric Kool-Aid acid trip thing, The closest thing that we had to sort of reliving that glory time was was the Grateful Dead scene. But unbeknownst to a lot of the fans who started following the Grateful Dead in the late 80s and 90s, Jerry Garcia was addicted to heroin. And a lot of the people who were following the dead, uh, who were close to the band, were also addicted to heroin. So there was this junk train following the Grateful Dead. Um it wasn't just, you know, the hippies and dancing rainbow people. There was also these these sort of quasi thug type junkies that were um, you know, into the into the heroin scene. And um a lot of people think that, you know, heroin killed Jerry. I mean, not that he died of an overdose, but he became once he started doing heroin, he became really ill. He became overweight. He, uh, um, you know, he lost some of his ability to play guitar because he was a little blurry and bleary, and uh, it was just sort of a downhill road from there. And I don't think anybody want, wanted that to happen, and I don't think any anybody thought that. Oh yeah, I'm gonna you know snort a little heroin, and everything's gonna be fine because we're just all groovy love, mind-expanding people. And then, you know, your life washes down the toilet. <laughs> and I'm not saying this happens to everybody who tries heroin, but I have been in scenes, and I have seen scenes where everybody is happy, happy, love, experimenting, you know, mind expansion, freedom, evolution of consciousness, etc. And then heroin hits the scene, and then people start stealing from each other, people start, you know, getting in really huge dramatic fights, people start dying, people start ODing and winding up in emergency rooms, and it just turns the scene bad. I agree. It just turns the scene bad. And I don't think you can have a social scene revolving around heroin use because I think it is the most antisocial drug in the world except for maybe maybe ketamine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now you want to talk about an antisocial drug. <laughs>
1: Whoa. Although you could do a little snort of ketamine and, and you know go yeah, but in, I mean if but, you're at a but I mean if you've taken like three
0: you know three or four lines of ketamine, I mean you're like on a couch staring at at a at a at a wall that has like paint drying on it. You right. know,
1: it, it's <laughs> so okay, so so the scenes. Um, that heroin specifically killed was like the like the hippie scene and a little bit of the Grateful Dead scene and then the raver scene in the '90s. Yeah, um, I remember uh, when I had friends who were sort of into drug experimentation. When they started getting into heroin, it was like I stopped hearing from them. That was it. They just sort of disappeared and into heroin.
0: Well, that's what happens. Well, I mean, people withdraw. They, you know, they don't, they're not with their old friends anymore.
1: Right. They move into a different, they have to follow a different scene of people because that's where the heroin is.
0: Right. And look, and let's say you're a guy who won't tolerate the heroin. Well, then they're not going to hang out with you because you're not down. You're not, you know, you're not into the, you're not into the uh, scene, so to speak.
1: And one of the things that I was noticing is that the heroin epidemic of the 70s, coincided with the Vietnam War and that's because apparently history will show that the CIA and the military was were smuggling heroin back from the Golden Triangle in China Um, and the fact that they had all of these military transport planes over there and then they were dealing you know weapons and munitions and trading it for cash and drugs That's sort of like the CIA's deal, right? That's what they were doing back then. So in the '70s, you had all of this China White coming back to America um, through these quasi-military back channels.
0: Well, you remember what John—that's where the heroin. Well, you remember what John
1: Lear said, you know, about the uh, about Air America and all that. Well, yeah, I mean, and these aren't just rumors. I mean, a lot of this stuff has been documented. That heroin was being smuggled in to America through military transport trains, and there may it may have been just bad operators in the military doing it on the side, or it may have been legit covert operations where they were they were bringing in heroin as payment for weapons and uh the uh The heroin epidemic in the nineties coincided with the um the the war in afghanistan the Soviet war in Afghanistan where the u.s sent military over to intervene and then suddenly heroin started showing up now we have another war in afghanistan and there's another heroin epidemic so it seems like whenever you at the united states has a large overseas military operation in a heroin producing area that heroin winds up coming back to the united states really cheap and it's not like it's not like you know um uh, a single balloon full of heroin that was smuggled no. up somebody's anus <laughs> on a on a on a transatlantic flight no this is like 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 pallets of heroin <laughs> coming in on cargo planes um well, that I may mean, be thing- sold for for you know for weapons that may be sold for cash that may be traded for for who knows what and you know and i think that the heroin epidemic that's happening now In all of the stories that I hear on the news, nobody mentions where the heroin is coming from. All of the onus is on the user. Oh, the users just are looking for cheap heroin. They're tired of taking OxyContin, so they go looking for cheap heroin. Heroin is so much cheaper than OxyContin, and it packs a bigger punch. Well, why is heroin so much cheaper than OxyContin? And why is the quality of heroin that people are getting today so much better? Well, I think the obvious answer is because it's coming straight from the source.
0: Right, it's coming straight from uh, you know Afghanistan. It's coming straight from uh, Southeast Asia. It's coming straight from wherever.
1: Right, and I think I think for the most part it's coming from Afghanistan. They're the big opium producing uh, country, and you know maybe it's being refined somewhere else uh and well like you in... know
0: i mean opium was like a big problem during the vietnam war like 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 we had just said so you know there so so maybe there is you know some exports still happening from southeast asia i have no idea but, right
1: so when people are taking um oh i can't remember what it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> um heroin dealers brand brand their packets and I guess one of the popular packets going around the East Coast now is TheraFlu. I don't. See, I this, don't is know stuff that I, this is stuff that I pick up from the news. You know, I watch the news and I always raise an eyebrow when I hear people talking about. Uh, a couple years ago, it was cheese. Do you remember cheese?
0: I mean, I know that there's a it, there's a strain of medical marijuana called, I think,
1: cheese or something no, like that. No, uh, cheese was. Uh, it was like heroin and ibuprofen or something like Tylenol PM. and What the hell? And Yeah, it was some weird mix of like an anti-inflammatory and an opiate that was called cheese that people were taking. <laughs> okay, and all I right. And I kept thinking, what the hell is this drug that they're calling cheese? And it was just heroin that was stepped on with something else to give it a but the I mean, what signature was the point? feel. What like, was I mean, the point?
0: What is acetaminophen and, uh, I don't know, ibuprofen going to do? I mean, I mean, you're on—it's just ha-
1: a cutting agent. It's like you're on heroin.
0: It's you know what I mean. like right.
1: It's a, it's a, it's, it's one. It's a cutting agent, and two, it has, it has a mild analgesic effect. Not that you're going to notice when you're on heroin, but it gives. It, but what it does is it gives the drug a trademark feel that's slightly different than normal heroin.
0: Okay. I mean, I've it's never like, done any kind of heroin. It's like, so. in, it's
1: like um, in the '80s, people were doing pure cocaine. Right in the late '70s and the, in the early '80s, people were doing pure cocaine. I like that, movie, and then people yeah. realized wow. that they could they could step on it, and you know, with baby powder or whatever, baby laxative, and so cocaine started becoming slightly different. The people who used to do the pure cocaine would say, "Oh, this this new cocaine is is crappy," but the people who started off doing the stepped-on cocaine, they thought that that's what cocaine was like, and then later on in the '80s and the early '90s. Cocaine started getting mixed with meth, so in people's minds, cocaine and meth were the same thing. Because when they snorted cocaine, the cocaine only lasted for twenty minutes or so, thirty minutes, and then they were on meth for another three or four hours. So that they yeah. thought oh. they thought that was that was what cocaine was supposed to feel like. What what so lovely was... combinations?
0: Yeah. No no no. I mean I I I'm not trying to be snarky. I mean really, like I mean this just. The more and more I hear about this stuff, I just think like like people actually do, like you know, you know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, and it's consumerism. But but I uh, mean I mean people, I mean, people y- go looking for brands that they can trust, and if you had a packet of heroin labeled Theraflu that really really got you off and was super good, you're going to go looking for more Theraflu. But y- you don't want cheats. <sighs>
0: Right. If somebody says, "Oh, we have cheese." It's not. You're as like, good no, as- no, 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 no. That's not good enough.
1: Right. So, in order to differentiate in the market, which I think is saturated right now, Oh okay, heroin yeah, I, is I, I'm not. Right
0: now. Yeah that 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 is that is one thing I'm not up on. So you'll you'll have to give me a little bit of, a, of an. I mean, come on.
1: the people who are being busted now, with, for heroin, are being busted with like like you know like like Philip Seymour Hoffman had fifty, you know, fifty packets apparently. That's a lot of heroin. Right. And um, I don't know much, but I do know that. (laughs) Well, yeah, and you hear (laughs) people on the news saying, well, if you're a junkie, you may be doing five or six packets a day. And I'm like, "Mm, um, maybe with you and all your friends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mean, maybe if you never wake up, if all you do (laughs) is stay in a heroin coma all day. (laughs) But I guess if you're a junkie, you do. You don't really. You, you don't get high as. Uh, you don't. You know, get so high that you pass out anymore. You just sort of get right. is what they I say. I, you, I had
0: a friend who worked in New York, who uh, worked in the business community for a while, and uh, you know, he says he, he said I knew perfectly functioning heroin addicts who would, you know, wake up, you know, uh, uh, do d- you know, d- do a hit or whatever you call it, you know, do do their needle. And then you know, going to work, you know, lunchtime, go in the bathroom, and but they would function throughout the day that way and do their jobs mm-hmm. correctly. I mean, it was crazy, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how, you know, that's that's really, you know.
1: Yeah, that's called a that's called a functioning addict or a maintenance addict. I mean, I where... can understand somebody who's who's on pain pills
0: for their back or something functioning on a daily basis, but you know, man, that's.
1: Whew. Right, and that's because the mind altering effects start to wear off over time, and uh you're only doing it to keep from getting withdrawal symptoms that's you know maintenance dose right and so one doing, of the, right right, right. Okay. and if you wanna if you want a nice little um documentation of how somebody can live for years and years and years as a maintenance addict, you can read the um guns and any any history of guns and roses. And you'll know that Izzy Stradlin, one of their guitarists, was a maintenance addict for years and years and years. Wasn't Burroughs was also guy... somewhat
0: of a maintenance addict? What's that? Wasn't Burroughs also somewhat of a maintenance addict?
1: I think Burroughs was a full-on addict. I think Burroughs was 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 shooting up any he can get his hands on it. I think Burroughs' main problem was that he couldn't find enough heroin.
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, but I mean, he he didn't die a young man, you know, I mean, he lived in. No, no. And
1: this is the thing. Neither. I mean, come on. Keith Richards is still alive.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he claims he stopped doing heroin, I think, didn't he? Well, what he
1: claims when people ask him, how did you make it through when so many other people died? He said, well, I just did clean drugs. I didn't do drugs that were mixed with anything. And I always knew how much I was doing and what it was I was doing. So he didn't you know accidentally shoot heroin laced with fentanyl um which is the the other rumor that was going around when Philip Seymour Hoffman died is that heroin heroin pushers heroin dealers are now lacing heroin with fentanyl which is you know a very powerful opiate so when heroin users who are used to normal heroin take the heroin laced with fentanyl um it's, it's a much more dangerous experience because there's a much lower threshold for overdose. So you get more overdoses, you get more people in <laughs> emergency rooms, you get more people dying. This seems counterintuitive to me. I am really not sure how much heroin is being laced with fentanyl out there. It seems like if you're selling heroin, you don't need to lace it with a stronger opiate no. uh, to, to sell it. No. In fact, it seems it would seem to be the opposite to me. You would take like a baby laxative or something and put fentanyl in it and sell it as heroin. Right. Um, but uh, fentanyl laced heroin is another one of these rumors that's going around for for the last month since Philip Seymour Hoffman died.
0: Well, I mean, anytime. And, you know, maybe- Maybe um,
1: there maybe there are people who are releasing fentanyl with heroin. Maybe there is a maybe there is a brand of Theraflu thera out there.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I mean, look. The other thing we have to consider is that anytime some big, you know, big time celebrity, and especially someone who's good, like like in my opinion, I, I liked Philip Seymour Hoffman's work. I thought he was a great actor. But he, uh, you know, um, people sort of, uh, you know, it, it starts this whole uh, news campaign, so to speak, where people just it, it's a constant topic, and then they go into you know uh well, what were the drugs and you know and it just goes on for weeks and then months sometimes you know depending on who the person is so i mean it happens i mean it was the same thing with Whitney Houston i mean how long did that go on for in the news you know how long did did they talk or you know did they did they talk about that
1: or Heath Ledger
0: yeah or Heath Ledger exactly how long did that go on for Oh, maybe you know what? What you know? He overdosed on this, and maybe the or or the Michael Jackson thing. Oh, well, what were they administering him this or that or that? You know, so I mean, it happens when any celebrity
1: dies too. I think is another factor. And Michael of Jackson this. is a very interesting case study. Because, oh yeah, sure. Um, Michael Jackson was not a drug user no. until his hair caught on fire during that Pepsi commercial, and he was hospitalized with with burn wounds, and they put him on opiates for pain. Management, and after that event, he became crazy Michael Jackson, you know he became the crazy face surgery cutting uh weirdo with the with the the veil and the and you know never leaving neverland kind of Michael Jackson that we all remember him as, but pre that event where he his hair caught on fire. He was the Michael Jackson that I remember as a kid, the happy, smiling, healthy Michael Jackson that was always, you know, laughing and talking and and uh you know uh being very social and fun whenever you saw him, as opposed to being right. this sort of like half dead zombie weirdo. Um, which is how my kids remember him. <laughs> So it's it's weird to see these transitions that happen in people's lives. And he became, you know, he became an alcoholic after that. He was, you know, he drank wine all the time, Jesus juice, et cetera, et cetera. And he, you know, there was, uh, you know, he couldn't sleep. Uh, so they were out giving him propofol and all, all of that stuff is, you know, uh, we, we know the story now. But it does go to show that people, um, even, you know, even people who you think, have everything going for them are not immune to, to these really, really drastic changes in their lives when they're exposed to something like opiates for the first time. No. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, I think he was first, he was first, he was first exposed to heroin in drama school. You know, he was a big drinker and a partier and he did drugs and he started doing heroin and he had problems and then he got clean and then he relapsed and then he got clean and he got relapsed and, you know, he carried it around with him his whole life. Now, I know people who, oh, right, you know, and and heroin kills scenes. Here I am sitting in Seattle, the you know, the grunge ground zero. Perfect example of how heroin kills scenes. There was a great scene going on here in, in Seattle. Some people say, oh, it was the heroin that created the scene. You know, everybody was like, you know, sitting around high on heroin playing guitar. That's where grunge music came from. No. That's not where grunge music came from. Grunge music came from, you know, uh, kids in Seattle with guitars making their own scene because nothing was going on in Seattle. <laughs> Seattle didn't have a scene before the grunge scene. But then the grunge scene got big. People like like um, Mudhoney, um, Mother Love Bone, uh, Nirvana, they first became exposed to heroin and then people started dying and then the scene fell apart because people were tired of seeing their friends die and their friends get hooked up in heroin and uh it just it just basically gutted the Seattle scene and I've talked to Bruce Pavitt, the founder of Sub Pop, about this. I mean, he was at the—he was the epicenter of that Seattle scene. He sort of made that happen with his record label, Sub Pop. Um, you know, with all of these early grunge bands. And you know, he—he—he he, he remembers the first time somebody told him that that Kurt Cobain was sh- was doing heroin. And he basically said, "Kurt, skinny little Kurt, Kurt can't do heroin." <laughs> <laughs> And you know he he was right, and um, he he knew people who got addicted then, who are still addicted now, um, uh, who who made it through the scene and are and are still around. Um, it's the very rare person who can go into that scene and dabble with heroin.
0: Yeah, I mean, you not, know,
1: and not walk away with some kind of addiction. And the only way you can do it is if you have a very strong discipline. Yeah, I like mean, I say, have to
0: say. Uh... Uh, just on a sorry to interrupt you, but no, go ahead. But just on a, I mean, on a, from and on the, I don't want to say on the ground level, but but you know, I mean, I know that I that I had mentioned earlier, um, in the uh, programs that there used to, you know, that that, that when I was a, uh, you know, when I was a more active participant in the community, that I would, you know, not the heroin community, I mean the the psychedelic community. Don't confuse that. Um, never did heroin but uh but that was something that was th- that towards the end of our of our uh you know adventure so to speak um was beginning to get introduced and that's sort of when I began to pull away uh because I I I just didn't like that you know that was not my my thing <laughs> but well,
1: there there um, is a very good reason why um you know <sighs> why you feel that way i mean i've i've been in scenes where that's happened people were where it it, it, it's, it's all fun and 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 love and yeah everybody's exactly. having a good time and things are groovy and that's how it and was everybody's for groovy and beautiful and then people start doing heroin and that groovy beautiful feeling goes away
0: right and then you know people are you know hankering around for this or that and you know, and of course, it started the same way. It started with the uh, with the uh, with the, the oxys pills. and the Vicodin and this and that, and then you know, it 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 spirals downward from there. So you have this kind of, um, you know, this 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 issue,
1: this progression. right. You
0: know, the, yeah, it, that's 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 really what it is, and 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 some people are able to stay in the in the sort of happy groovy state you know and and that's fine and that and and that's actually in my opinion that's that's better (laughs) to be in that state but some people you know lose that state or they or they or they go elsewhere and they uh you know they they go down the road of uh heroin you know and they go down the road of uh of other of other drugs, you know. And, and and I mean and that comes, you know, and of you know, and of course it's 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 not just exclusive to heroin. I mean, you know, you start doing heroin, you know, you smoke a little crack on the side, you know. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean all I got to do is ask uh, Toronto's mayor, Rob Ford, you know. I mean, you know, he'll he'll tell you all about that, you know, in a drunken a stupor, you know, you s- you know, you smoke a little crack <laughs> in a drunken stupor, you know, uh, uh, what are you going to do? That's you know, that's I'm um, quoting or I'm um, paraphrasing Rob
1: Ford, uh, the the mayor of Toronto. So, uh, see, you know, there we go. Right. But <laughs> but and there but, are there are um, and you know, I know people who have um you know, I'm one of these people who who can't take opiates, no, I know, mean, I, don't I like can them. take them, but I just don't enjoy them oof, um, I feel I, like you know, there are
0: ants crawling all over me, and I'm just like, what the hell That's
1: right i get I get um because I'm my own skin pain medication when I'm on them, and then, um when I come down, I just feel hot. I feel cold. I feel hot. I feel cold. I feel sick. And I think, God, I am never going to take an oxycodone ever again. You know, and this is when I'm taking them for, for pain because I have a broken yeah. bone. Sure. You know, and I would rather just sit around with, with, the with the broken shoulder, feeling the pain, then you know kill the pain for a couple hours and then no I'm going to be having these sweats and sick itchy feeling well, well uh, you know what I mean you live in off. Washington hell you could use the uh, medical
0: marijuana i mean which is which is a good which is a good pain reliever uh and uh generally well
1: sure and that's and that's i think one of the main reasons why um why medical marijuana legislation is so important is because people need an alternative painkiller or even just an alternative, um, you know, euphoriant, because sometimes, sometimes um, being in pain isn't really as bad as the misery of being in pain. Right. As and if you could just cut loathing. the misery, the pain isn't that bad anymore. You know, people people tend to think, oh, if I you could just kill the pain, then the patient will feel better. And that actually goes for for
0: mental pain to a certain tr- degree, yeah, believe it or not. But the truth
1: is if you can make the patient feel better suddenly the pain isn't the overriding issue in their life and the and the misery goes away
0: right and it's right. ah you know i have you, well like for, you know okay I, I don't like using personal examples but look i have an uncle who has very bad knee problems you know but uh, uh he 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 drinks you know you know small amounts of wine throughout the day you know with his meals and that apparently helps him with the pain in his knee Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he, he he he's a very happy guy. He jokes all the time, he laughs, I mean, but you know, sometimes I'll see him get up and I'll go, Oh man, you know, my, you know, Jake my knees are really bothering me today, you know, but but it's not he's not miserable, you know. I mean he's not he's not uh upset. He's not you know, it's not like that's the overarching issue in his life. You know, he always says, Ah, oh, I gotta get these knees fixed someday, but it's not like a, you know it's not like that that it's not like that
1: rules his life. Right. And so here's here's the here's the bite, here's the rub though. With something like heroin or or opiates, you can remove the misery for a short amount of time. But when the opiates wear off, the misery comes back twice as hard
0: right and that's the same you know, thing no when you yeah.
1: when you when you take say say you get a sprained ankle or something or like like you know you get a knee problem because you you fell you know or you know you you tweaked it going down the stairs or whatever the doctor says all right we're going to give you oxycodone for 2 weeks that will help you in, you know that'll help you know ease the pain um, while it's healing and then 2 weeks later your prescription runs out and you hit a a bottom you bottom out so bad that you just want to get more pills you just want to get more pills not because your knee is in pain but because you're going through withdrawals and and withdrawals basically uh you know people say oh yeah you get shakes you feel sick um you you know you feel like your skin is crawling you want to jump out you know they have all of these things that they say but really what it is really what withdrawals is is you feel a hunger and an emptiness that cannot be filled by anything except the thing that you're addicted to, right? You can't masturbate it away. You can't, you can't run it away. You can't drink it away. It's, 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 it's a hole and a hunger. Well, actually,
0: that- with benzodiazepines, you can drink it away. No, <laughs> okay. no, 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 no. You can't.
1: They act on the same benzodiazepines. Exactly. Act on the same GABA systems as alcohol. So, so they're very similar. They're, you can, you can, you can, you can stop the the, the withdrawals of a benzodiazepine shake with alcohol, and in alcohol withdrawal, you get the same kind of shakes. So um, that's th- that's all the 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 GABA the GABA um, inhibitory pathways in the brain. Uh, that are stimulated by both benzodiazepines and alcohol. That's why that's why they they mix and match.
0: But no, so I, I was you just still, you know I was just saying.
1: Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you get you get into this state where you're you're in a you're in a misery because you've been you've been given something that takes away the misery for a little while, and then suddenly that's gone, and the misery comes back. But then it's compiled with the fact that you can't get anything. You can't get the thing that took the misery away in the first place, so you feel double miserable.
0: Well, that's why they have these opiate blockers, like um, I think Suboxone is one of them, um, Subutex.
1: Yeah, but those are really those don't really help with the withdrawal symptoms. Those just help keep people from overdosing. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody is like taking an overdose of heroin, the uh, paramedics will give them Suboxone. Okay, uh, to, to block. To block the pathways so that the heroin doesn't stop the heart and the respiration. But it doesn't so,
0: actually block the, the... It doesn't
1: block the craving and the withdrawal, no. Um, they, I don't think they, they're, they're, you know, this is something that, that, that research should really be spending more time on, medical research, is how to block the effects of withdrawal without mimicking the effects of the um, the, the psychoactive part of it, the opiate part of it. And that's, that's a really hard problem because you can't really piece apart the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, stopping the withdrawal with the stimulating the pleasure centers. They're both, they're, I mean, it's the, same, it's the same circuit. So one of the things that people do, I mean, one, one of the things that, I mean, in, in terms of psychedelics, there's been a lot of emphasis placed on things like iboga or ibogaine that are given to heroin addicts to interrupt their withdrawal and this is something that was popular or you know was was gaining popularity I think maybe in the the early 90s Um, there were lots of not, I'll say lots of people will know what I talk about when I say lots off (laughs) there were a few people who you can who you could go to if you were kind of in the psychedelic underground if you had a friend who was a heroin addict you could say hey there's this radical treatment where you you chew this you know you take this powder from the the root of the iboga plant or you take ibogaine that's been it's been extracted from the iboga plant or manufactured and you go on this you know 12 hour psychedelic trip and at the end of it you come out and your withdrawals are gone and what what really is happening in those kind i mean nobody really knows what's happening in, in the iboga trip and why it blocks blocks withdrawal symptoms uh, apparently it seems to, uh, I've heard people say that it works. I've known people who were heroin addicts who took a boga and then immediately relapsed like a week later. So it's not like a one shot, you know, silver bullet for curing heroin addiction. But what it does do is it interrupts the, that withdrawal and craving mechanism that, that is in this pleasure reward circuit long enough so that when the patient comes back out of it they're not hungry for that thing anymore. They're sort of, they're they're sort of, um, you know, it's like when you take ayahuasca and your body just purges itself and resets itself (laughs) and, and you come back feeling like you've been reborn. You know, your body's been purged of toxins or whatever kind of metaphors you want to use. It's been cleansed. It's been spiritually, spiritually cleansed. You've had an out of body experience and you're, and you're renewed. So, um, there's tests going on right now, or trials that are starting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, I think they're pre-trial. There's pre-trial research going on right now looking for people who have successfully used psychedelics to quit smoking. So there is this okay. new this thread in psychedelic research <clears> of <throat> using psychedelics specifically to interrupt this uh, addiction withdrawal cycle. and uh, I, you know, I think from personal experience, I know that when you come out of a psychedelic trip and, and when I do, the last thing I want to do is take more drugs.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> right? you
1: just feel like, man, I need to, it's I need like, to rehydrate I, I, I go to and, bed, and eat some nutritious food uh, and take a nap. sleep and, and, you know, meditate with my candles and just be mellow. Yeah. Take a hot bath, whatever. And just and just chill. You don't feel like jumping right back on the, the horse, whatever your horse is, if it's, you know, heroin like or or crack cocaine or or tobacco or marijuana or whatever. Um so I think that there is a lot of valid research and a lot of valid clinical use that can be done with psychedelics to treat addiction. Like I said, I don't think it's a silver bullet. I think it's 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 well, something it's... that has to be done in a continuing therapy situation oh, I agree. where where you have an intervention, and then you have follow up and support, and then maybe another intervention and follow up and support.
0: And I think part of that is because you know, as you, you know, you know, I mean, as you said, I mean, literally, you 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 just put your body through one hell of an experience, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, and 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 I've and I and I've heard of you know people using ayahuasca as well for this for the same purpose, um and it's just uh, well especially after ayahuasca i mean you 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 i i've never uh per, you know you know personally gone to south america and and, and been in that kind of setting but uh, a friend of mine has and he says after you're done with that ceremony the only thing that you want to do is just like lay back and do nothing you know it's just it, because it takes so much out of you so uh you're really not thinking about anything after that you know you're just kind of trying to
1: yeah it, and it does know. it does sort of um it stops craving, and this is one of the things that I think draws people who do psychedelics to Buddhism because buddhism the Buddhist philosophy basically says that the way to find inner peace is to stop craving right it's if you if you are not in want for anything, you can the way to Ease, the way to end suffering is to stop craving, and that's you know it seems like a very neat philosophy. It's always felt a little bit too neat for me, but I understand why people are very drawn to that. It's a very simple solution oh if i do if I'm not in want for things, I feel no emptiness inside of me. Therefore, I am I am fu- I am fulfilled and able to be absolutely purely present in the moment with no distractions, right? With no cravings mm-hmm. for something that's not physically present at the moment. I can just be content in the moment with no want, and that is that is kind of the feeling that you get coming down on the tail end of a psychedelic trip. You're like, I am done. All I want to do is be at peace now. <laughs> just chill. It's like yeah, good. And uh, you go into lizard mode. I'm done. Yeah. It's just very, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a very sort of, um,
0: you can artificially induce that through lithium as well.
1: Just (laughs) kidding. Um, (laughs) It's like being a lizard on a rock. Yeah. So the cessation of craving is one of these really interesting, um, philosophical and physiological issues that, um, you know, people have been working on since, you know, for, for thousands of years. Uh, it's not it's not a, a modern phenomenon by any means. And I think a lot of times the the things that people feel most upset about in their life is the fact that they want things to be different. You know, they want a nicer place to live. They want more money. They want there to be less pollution. They want there to be less war. They want people to treat each other nicer They have a lot of wants based on expectations. And when those expectations aren't being met, they feel anger. And so Buddhism basically says, hey, just, you know, just get rid of the expectations and and roll with it, (laughs) Which, which I feel is very counter to the whole Western ideal of progress, which is things suck the way they are we want them to be better we want more luxury we want more surplus we want more comfort we want you know more happiness
0: at least the recent uh, the recent western traditions anyway
1: well yeah i mean that's that's i mean the path towards our modern luxury started with somebody saying hey my back hurts from plowing all day I'm gonna invent something that my yak can pull that will plow this field. Exactly. For <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you know, and it's just and it, and it just spirals from there. You yeah, know, one invention leads to another, and suddenly we pile luxury look, and th- comfort.
0: There are certain practical inventions, and then and then there are inventions that are just plain, you know, I mean, that are just indicative of just plain laziness. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's it's kind of true i mean c- certain things go beyond convenience.
1: Are you talking about the donut cannon that shoots donuts straight into your mouth <laughs> <laughs> you know or like or like or like that you know my son, my son saw a youtube video <sighs> of like a popcorn cannon that you could just like press a button on your computer and turn to the right and it shoots like a piece of popcorn into your mouth
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, damn, man, it's like you can't reach over into the bowl and 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 and, and and eat popcorn i mean it's it's
1: just i it's well, yes yeah, so that that's that's invention to the to the silliest degree but yeah you start you start to think about it and you know there that movie we're like we're like
0: somebody who who, who installs like it like like a toilet in their lazy boy
1: well that's just gross like you, you know pure, what i mean that's pure american <laughs> grotesqueness.
0: yes yes
1: it is <laughs> Try not to laugh too hard at the mic (laughs) yeah that's that that is just that is just goofy and crazy (laughs) with the Um, with the uh
0: you know mcdonald's holder on the side or whatever anyway um
1: so i've always been a little wary of the whole better living through chemistry movement because it is basically saying we are going to make ourselves dependent on technology For our sense of well-being
0: well not only that but um you know it's 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 you're 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 dependent on 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 the consumerism you're not you're not dependent on 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 what you're on as you said what you're given um you know people you know people will look at a set of tools and say well i need this 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 and this instead of saying well what can i do with what i have
1: yeah it's true it's true. People, you know, I, like
0: uh, you know, I don't know. I have a knife and some matches and uh, and a, and a water desalinator. Oh, but I need uh, I need a tent. I need a blanket. No, 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 no. Okay, good. We have the water desalinator. You know. Okay, great. <laughs> like, okay, we have basic things. Like, let, okay, let's go build a lean-to. You know. But, so maybe people, and I think that that's a prioritization. But,
1: and I know people like that. I mean, uh, Casey Hardison who we had on the show, was was raised a little bit like that for a period of time. He and his father would go live off the land. And I know people who, after coming through the psychedelic movement, decided that the thing that they wanted to do was go back to the land and live primitive jungle style, like on a a commune in Hawaii or Northern California somewhere, like a kibbutz, where basically they are living in lean-to's, with no technology other than like a sharpened blade and and that's really all they use um, and and I don't know if this is uh, a spiritual pursuit, a test of one's will, or you know some kind of social experimentation to see what happens if we go backwards instead of forwards. I think it's a mixture but for for the most part. The people I know who went into that sort of lifestyle eventually came out of it and said, "I want more out of life instead of living in the jungle and you know picking bananas."
0: Well, I mean, it depends on it. Okay, th- th- this is what I would argue. I mean, living in a commune with no technology is a, is an American who grew up in the in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. But it's I it's I I think that there needs to be a differentiation made between that. And someone who is becoming a shaman, someone who is going into the jungle to nurture sensak, someone who plans to do that, you know, as a as a spiritual path. I mean, in the same way, like when a novice uh, becomes a a fully professed member of the monastery, they, you know, cho- they 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 freely do so because that is the path that they want to choose, you know. Um, but that's more of a spiritual direction. So, so I mean, if you're saying that people get bored of it, then maybe. Maybe it's less spiritual and more of a test of the, of the human I think, body. I think
1: it's more of, yeah, it is, it is more of a test of self-sufficiency to say, yeah. hey, can I live this way? Like and survivalism. Be right. Can I live this way and be content to live this way? And the answer is yes, for a period of time.
0: But then you but, want your iPhone back in your bed. Well,
1: yeah, or you want to be able to come back to modern culture. You know, all your friends are on Facebook talking about what happened on House of Cards. Season two, I and you're like, what, what the? What's Netflix?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's like,
1: w- 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 what is that? <laughs> and they'll be yeah, like, man, so there's, man, there's, where
0: have you been? Living under a rock? uh Yeah, there's a, yeah. Actually, there's a I have. Social
1: trade off to that because I, you know, I, I knew a guy who would occasionally just just disappear, and you know, I would say, where were you? And he said, oh, I went to go uh live, you know, the Pacific Northwest. So we have a lot of nice, nice woods out here. Probably. Probably the finest woods in North America, I think, out here on the Olympic Peninsula. And, and uh, he would just disappear for a couple of weeks at a time. And I would say, where were you? And he said, oh, you know, I just went up to go uh, go camp by the lake for four weeks. And I was just up there camping and fishing and, uh, you know, and I was like, well, what did you take with you? And he said, oh, you know, just a, just a wineskin and a knife. And I said, that's it? You were just sleeping out in the elements? And he was like, yeah. I actually just took off my clothes and stuck him in a tree. And he was just wandering around out there naked for <laughs> a couple of weeks. And, uh, and that was his, I mean, and this was a guy who had done psychedelics, who had done um, peyote ceremonies with the Native American church. And uh, he was very into living. This is a white guy, by the way, not a, not a Native American. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, you know, the Native Americans who knew this guy would be like, oh, yeah, he's a, good, he's a, he's a weirdo because <laughs> he likes to go run around naked in the forest right uh and uh you know they were like you know maybe maybe if you know a thousand years ago that's the way our people were but even we like tents <laughs> and clothing and yeah. you know community right it's not just like going out and being by yourself a uh, crazy hermit out in the wild we we running around i naked. That's I, that's sort of like borderline insanity to me. I mean, I come like that... from
0: the men of uh, from the empire of conquerors, you know, or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Rome, the glory of Rome.
1: Right, and I feel like I am a concrete human. Uh I was born with concrete under my feet and I uh, I'm thinking of the song you belong to the city <laughs> which is a horrible horrible song from the 80s we
0: built this city no am no, no, sorry no that's that. well, that's that's, like, a, that's a different you belong song to
1: the city no no, no. i i i know the... i know it's a horrible you know soft rock song from the 80s richard marx maybe i can't remember who it was and uh not it's uh no <laughs> never gonna give you up and it's uh it's one of these things where like i can go out into the wilderness and i can camp and i can be self-sufficient and i can hunt and fish but that just seems like altogether too much work to me and it hmm. seems like going backwards and it feels like i'm you know dirty and covered with bugs all the time and when i come back and even even when i go to burning man i feel this way it's like huh. man it's dusty it's hot out here uh-huh. uh I you feel don't have any of the luxuries the of of modern living um, you know, except for every once in a while, you'll find a chill tent where everything is just completely well. Just like I mean, out. I mean, <laughs> super,
0: I, super I, awesome. I would say the Roman style of living was not a barbaric or a bad style of living. You know,
1: no, but they, they that was civilization. That was, they, that, was a, that was a civilization built on. I mean, you, you go to Rome and even even the, the footprint of ancient Rome that's still there. It is a concrete city. I mean, it's 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 cobblestones. But it's paved. Everything is made out of stone. They actually had a better form of concrete, I believe, towards the later period. Well, Rome. they yeah. did have concrete in Rome, and then that technology was lost for a few hundred years. This isn't really interesting. I mean, if you study the history of concrete, you realize that, that there was a period of time where humans figured out how to make concrete. And then they lost that technology for a while. And then we and just that- figured it out again. <laughs> that they figured it out again, yeah. Well, Excuse me.
0: I mean and, and and Roman concrete was great, but but then but they are concrete, but then again, there are concrete humans, they were concrete humans. I mean, sure, right. some Romans lived on farms, but they were concrete humans, even Greeks were concrete, well, they were marble humans, but you know concrete you know marble would they use marble and stone? you know they were you know it was more of a I don't want to say civilized, but it was civilization, it was in the in the sense of a polity, in the sense of a city. In the sense of, a, of an urban community, you know, it was well, yeah, no longer I mean, a chieftain-type the...
1: society. It was no longer Neolithic. It was no longer, you know. And that's because it's not nomadic. When right. you're nomadic, everything needs to be able to be folded up and portable so you can wander from one squatting ground to the next following your livestock or where the trees are fruiting or where you're going to find food this season. Whereas concrete is built to last. You want a lot of people to live there their whole lives and have generations and generations in one city. And it allows for a much huger community to build than a purely nomadic society, which is limited to, you know, a couple hundred people at the most. Or, you know, I mean, yeah, a couple hundred people. I mean, really, to, to, to to have a tribal nomadic society, once it gets, you know, bigger than that, they start, you know, breaking off and forming separate groups. So the fact, that, the fact that we have concrete and that we have cities that last for more than the lifetime of a single human, I think, is where history begins. You know, that's where the oral, trish, oral tradition ends and where the history of civilization starts.
0: Well, well, when people start writing
1: things down and keeping these records in these archives, you know. Well, you just need to build one monolith that lasts for a thousand years, and that becomes the gathering place in the history for the people. Right, whether it's a pyramid, whether it's a Roman temple, whether a it's a Ziggurat. Right, right, right. Whether it's a ziggurat, whether it's a a, a Gothic cathedral, that becomes the centerpiece of the culture. Then it's no longer a nomadic society. You get a p you get a pilgrimage society where everybody makes a pilgrimage to that monument to, to share their culture.
0: Well look at the Duomo in Florence, you know? Um I think that's I mean it's it's it, people I mean it's famed for it, you know for it. Um
1: yeah, and so so I don't know how we got onto this topic of um of uh you know people who take psychedelics you know there's 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 different sorts of of you know pathways people take out of it and um that sort of neo primitive one is one that was, you know, I saw as being very popular when I was, when I was, um, you know, just out of college. There were a bunch of friends of mine who were exploring this this neo-primitive. We're going to go back to the land. We're going to eat raw food. We're going to be, you know, grounded into the into the natural cycle, and we're not going to have any artificial light or technology. And in some ways, I felt sort of jealous of these people. <laughs> For for being able to take that commitment and sort of live their politics. And um, but you know, like I said, there are very few of those people who are still doing that 20 years later. They've, you know, they have kids now, they have houses, apartments, cars, etc. Uh, they got pulled back into the modern world. Um, and you know, hopefully have avoided heroin.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the, and that's the big goal avoid heroin please
1: <laughs> and now the, the other thing I'm going to say is that I'm sure there are people out there who have, have used oxies and have maybe even tried heroin and they never developed a habit and they're thinking well what are people talking about you know I don't know anybody who uses oxys uh, addictively well this is because there are people there are definitely people who have specific addiction profiles like, I cannot be a cigarette smoker because cigarette smoke makes me sick, just like opiates kind of make me sick. And I can get to the point where I'm addicted to nicotine, but I can never get to the point where I enjoy it. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: right. Because you're, I don't, it's just not I something don't, you like. My
1: body doesn't enjoy it. It doesn't enjoy the feeling. So... uh There are people who really do enjoy smoking and really do enjoy heroin. And this is a genetic profile. This is a specific genetic type. And if you happen to be of that specific genetic type and you are exposed to opium at the right point of time, point in time, then there is a high percentage chance that you will develop addictive tendencies. So it really is sort of a a pick of (sighs) – Who you are, I mean, in this this heroin epidemic, anyone can become addicted to heroin. I mean, even though I don't like opiates, I could become addicted to heroin if I did it every day. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, And I would go through withdrawals. I'm the kind of person who would just rather go through withdrawals and get it over with than live my life addicted to something. You know, I think withdrawals. Okay, well, how long is that going to take? Three days, a week, two weeks? Sure, I'll grit it out. I don't want to be addicted to something for the rest of my life. I'll just grit it out and 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 do it. But I'm stubborn that way. Um, Some people don't have that kind of resolve, uh, and some people enjoy being addicted to to heroin. So it's it's really is dependent on your personality type, your your genetic makeup, et cetera, et cetera, how susceptible you are to this to that sort of thing. And it it also tends to affect younger people more. Because they don't have the coping skills to deal with that depth of addiction and craving, they don't have the education. They don't. They don't know what's happening. And then they, you know, when people go through withdrawal for the first time, they, they literally think like they're going to die if they don't get heroin. Right, because it's
0: it's such a shocking experience to them. It's a, I mean it's a and I mean and their body is going through a serious trauma.
1: Yeah yeah so the the heroin epidemic thing it's not gonna go away. There is no way to make the heroin epidemic go away other than to you know try to keep heroin off the streets. It seems like these days the that that that, that 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 you know there was it seems like you know, and I have to go back to the military thing at one point back in the nineties early two thousands and I think they still do this, the DEA regularly releases what the cost of different street drugs are in in a report that they they do. I don't know if it's annual or semi-annual. That's always helpful for people who want to go buy drugs. But the purpose of this is is that one one of the stated reasons or goals of the Drug Enforcement Agency is not to wipe out drug use. It is to take enough drugs off the street to keep the street price high. They are like a regulatory agency for keeping the price of street drugs high. Right? That's that's one of their stated goals, is they want to keep the price of street drugs high so kids can't can't get their hands on them. And if they can take, you know, 10%, 20%, 30% of the drugs coming into the country from reaching the street, that raises the price by 20, 30%. It's just a, it's a very simple supply and demand formula. And people in the DEA know that when the price of heroin is going up, they're doing a good job because that means it's harder to find on the street. For the past three, four years, I mean, we've been in Afghanistan for 12 years now. Everybody on TV says longest war in American history. My God, we've been in Afghanistan for a long time. <laughs> and since we've been in afghanistan the street price of heroin just keeps going down and down and down and down and it's like the dea isn't doing anything
0: well maybe that's stop. because it's being shipped in by another agency
1: well yeah i mean and it's it's one of these things like i think the dea is so focused on um south american cartel culture that they're not even paying attention to what's going on or that's not in their mandate at the at the moment it's it's more um you know street police, local police, law enforcement trying to deal with the heroin problem uh, and uh it's it it seems weird to me the whole thing seems extremely weird to me that there's that there's all this heroin cheap heroin available now, and uh especially since uh you know there's all these this oxy out there too, all the pharmaceutical industries making you know millions of dollars selling opiates uh and Somebody's getting rich off of all of this. <laughs> oh, you! Oh, you! You can be sure of that. <laughs> Somebody's you can be very sure of that. Lots and lots of money, and they don't care about the heroin epidemic. But uh, it's it's definitely one of these weird economies that is tied up in war. It's tied up in you know propaganda. It's tied up in politics. It's tied up in law enforcement. Ethics, religion, morality—it's—it's uh, a, it's a huge economic issue, dealing with the fallout of addiction. Um, so it's—it's it's one of these things where you know, uh, heroin is one of these. These—if uh, you look at big heroin, like a corporate culture, or big opiates, like a corporate culture, it's very much like a corporate culture because there is no accountability at the top. All of the risk is pushed to the consumer. With this sort of buyer beware ethics, and there is no accountability at the top if a consumer dies from taking too many oxycontins, nobody goes back to the pharmaceutical company's c e o and says, "Hey, you're under arrest for selling oxy well, well no i didn't I didn't sell it. we just manufactured it <laughs> and collected all the profits <laughs> yeah, I mean we didn't sell it i mean I didn't you know. put it in that poor person's hand no i I, I, feel... I there's no accountability here. So no. this is this – is, it's, it's just a super weird economy because of the legal status. And plus now, not somebody, only that uh, – If people started dying from – if people started dying on the street from drinking quadruple lattes from Starbucks – you bet your ass the CEO of Starbucks would have to be answering some questions. Well see, about but then no, why no, 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 is coffee no. why is coffee killing so many people?
0: The CEO of Starbucks doesn't have to answer anything because because see, Starbucks is its own person. Starbucks is a person. <laughs> no 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 no. No no no, I'm serious. Yeah. Cor- corporations are people.
1: Well yeah, I know, but this, the CEO is supposed to be the the, 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 no, the you know the no, buck no, no. stops at the CEO. So No no no
0: no 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 the buck stops at at the at the corporation that is a person. It's a person, but it's not quite a person, but we
1: treat it like a person, but it's not quite a person. That yeah, you know, so but what I'm saying <laughs> is in day to day operations the buck stops with the CEO. Right. And yeah. one of the jobs of the CEO is to fall on the grenade so the board of and you know, take take the flack, so the board of directors and the stockholders do not have to pay for the mistake that the corporation makes. It's called externalizing risk. You know, right. and corporations excel at externalizing risk, so that the board of directors and the stockholders are protected, whereas the management are on the front line, and they're the ones that have to you know they're the ones that get fired and get their golden parachutes when something goes wrong. but what I'm saying is the the kind of accountability that we expect in the consumer market does not apply to the pharmaceutical industry per se, and it does not apply to of course the black market at all uh unless you know. Uh, a cartel kingpin goes down, or a low-level mule goes down. Uh, that kind of accountability isn't what I'm talking about. It's 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 a it's a talking about you know looking at the system that allows the risk to be externalized to the point where it's all on the burden of the consumer, and that's that's a problem. Whereas, in a, if you have a legal product. Like an OxyContin, you think that the, the corporation producing those things would have some sort of accountability for how they get out and who gets their hands on them, but they don't. They don't have any accountability, and that's just just seems weird to me.
0: Well, I mean, you know, like I said, they are they have they have some. I mean, we are we are a country that supports its corporations. I mean that's I mean that's the other thing you have to keep in mind as well.
1: Well that's why America, I mean that was one of the founding principles of America is that, you know, people wanted to go to a place where they could they could they could make this corporate enterprise, this sort of pirate society happen without, you know, the oversight of another of another regulatory agency like a king, you know, telling them what to do. So.
0: Right. Well, and uh George III didn't like that too much. No. No. Is that
1: just No, a... that's that's and there you go, revolution. Yep, bang,
0: and the same thing happened in France. I actually watched a really funny YouTube video um, where where uh, uh, they 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 had a picture of uh, Marie Antoinette, and uh, they said that uh, <laughs> that uh, I cannot remember the YouTube video, but that that uh, cannabis was actually discovered by Robin Hood, and uh, <laughs> him and his merry men got so high that they forgot about their discovery, and then it went like you know like like went away for hundreds of years until Marie Antoinette rediscovered it and uh you know in in uh, she was so blazed that she said uh, let them eat pot 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 cake you know <laughs> and uh, they chopped her head off for it because you know there wasn't enough pot cake for everybody and i, I mean it was it, <laughs> it, it, it was it was it was just a it was a wacky video i don't know where right, i found well, if it
1: You can find the find the link to that we should post it with the episode because i have no idea what you're talking yeah, about yeah it it was it was
0: it, it was funny and it wasn't it wasn't real animation. It was like one of those like set, uh, you know 18th century portraits of uh, Marie Antoinette with like you know multiple like f- you know Photoshop joints like sticking out of her mouth, like mm-hmm. oversized joints. Mm-hmm. You know, let them eat pot brownies. You know, it's like oh god. Anyway, but uh, yeah, that's that's a uh, it's funny stuff. So uh, unfortunately, we're coming towards the end of the program today. So uh, any uh, final comments, James?
1: Um not really. I mean, I feel like I want to wrap up this discussion with something other than heroin is bad. Um, pharmaceutical companies aren't accountable. Uh, but really, I think, um, you know, when it comes to, to uh, personal choices, the more educated you are about, about drug use and the, the better decisions that you can make, um, Younger listeners out there who maybe have not been exposed to the OxyContin pill culture, just keep an eye out. If you're in a scene where people are groovy and experimental and doing this kind of social experimentation and opiates start get introduced, in, introduced into the scene, just keep, a, keep an eye out. Keep your head on your shoulders and you know you don't need to be a narc and you don't need to tell people, hey man, that's, it's not cool, opiates aren't cool. But you should just try to keep a level head about what's going on, because I have seen from personal history that social scenes, uh, the fun times end when the opiates start.
0: And I've seen the destruction that it's brought about to other people, you know. And yeah. it's it, it is it is a very ugly spiral downward. Trust me. Yeah, I and know. you know,
1: I know, and like I said, I don't <clears> want to be here telling people, hey, man, don't do drugs. Drugs kill. You know, drugs do kill, you know, driving automobiles kills, uh, but there's, there are certain drugs that are good for, you know, happiness, mind exploration, social ex- experimentation, etc. And there are other drugs that just kill scenes. And, uh, you know, from personal experiments over and over and over again, opiates and heroin kill the good time, they kill the scene. So, and they kill people.
0: Yeah, I mean, and my personal recommendation would be to stay the hell away from it. <laughs> uh, you know, and 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 you can take that for, for you know, for whatever it is. But I mean, you know, like I said, I've 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 watched too many a friend fall prey to that, and uh, their lives have not been uh, very good since then. And uh, I just hope that one day they are able to pull themselves up from the pit.
1: And I think there's a there's a certain percentage i think that the center for Natural disease control will will they they have as a as a baseline for what what actually constitutes an epidemic like if there's a flu epidemic it needs mm-hmm. to affect something like 10% of the population is when it starts really reach, reaching epidemic proportions and i think at this point we have even though everybody even though everybody in the news says heroin epidemic and it's like a it's like a two two line buzz phrase i wouldn't be surprised if the level of 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 dependency on opiates in in the usa is actually reaching epidemic proportions of like 5% 10% people who are in some sort of uh, maintenance or uh, you know I read the statistics daily or semi daily use just to fight withdrawals, and that's that's a that's a not a good place to be because you can't can't go up from there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I what's what's interesting is that is that um, everybody talks about oh, you know, don't 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 drink and take Xanax, right? Don't you know because that's there's a lot of that out there. But what I've noticed is that, and I you know, and I've and I've looked up a few statistics is that there are actually more people. I mean, you know, the percentage of people going into the pharmacy for narco- for narcotic medications. I mean, it's almost like, you know, I don't know, 85% to, f-
1: to 15. Right. Who you know, was like your 80- friend that we had on the show that one week who yeah, worked in a pharmacy.
0: Yeah, who 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 worked in a pharmacy. Tom? Uh no, 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 a different friend of mine, but I, oh. I I you know, I don't want to get into names, but he he works in a pharmacy and I just asked him a you know, a generalized question, you know, I said, I, I said, just 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 based on your knowledge of working in a pharmacy, I said, among narcotic medications, you know, how many people come in for things like oxycodone, uh, codeine, uh, you know, and, um, uh, Percocet, as opposed to things like um, Valium or, or uh, you know, I don't know, some kind of uh, benzodiazepine,
1: an antidepressant, right,
0: or an antidepressant or an SSRI. And he says the ratio is is actually quite uh, quite. Quite stunning. I mean, more people come in for the opiates than they do for the antidepressants. More people are actually going towards the opiates as a way of alleviation, as opposed to the the normal pharmacological approach to it, which would be SSRIs or benzodiazepines, or you know. Uh... And
1: SSRIs are a whole other topic. I mean, oh sure, and I'm not advocating there's, for I mean, SSRIs. There's, evidence, there's been there's been clinical evidence that that points to the fact that SSRIs have absolutely no clinical value at all yeah they don't stop depression and it's all kind of a big hoax uh I don't want to get into that topic now maybe no, we can but, do on a different but show but I
0: mean I'm just saying that you know general I mean th- those are the general avenues I mean benzodiazepines antipsychotics and antidepressants um you know are the or general avenues for alleviating people's uh you anxiety know, you depression know, mental issues and things like that but you know, and he says some of these people aren't even messed up. They're just kind of maintaining they're, they're just getting a prescription from from a doctor who
1: just kind of gives it to them. You know, for right a, a pill mill, a pharmacy front.
0: Yeah, and I mean they look like they're fine. I mean, obvious. I mean, other than the fact that they're strung out, but <laughs> I mean they they look fine and normal. But there's just that that issue. You know, so.
1: So it so so, yeah. so it is a little so, bit of
0: a, I mean it is a little bit of a problem. I mean and even among narcotic medications it it is it's more prevalent than other narcotic medications and I think that that that's also that I think that also says something as well.
1: Yeah, and the and the and the horrible thing about about opiates is that um I've seen this too. Uh people get addicted to opiates and they suddenly start stealing lying um you know stealing drugs out of somebody else's medicine cabinet hiding their addiction they become deceptive they manipulative they start they start doing things that they wouldn't normally do um and this is how you know you get things like like um addicts who sell their body for their next fix is exactly all, that's all they care about is getting their next fix so they degrade themselves they lose their sense of self-worth they lose their sense of right and wrong they lose their moral compass i don't see people smoking weed and taking psychedelics who do that they don't no, lose I mean, their look, moral compass like stoners that stoners I mean, might go, like they cash in go, some
0: change or something and yeah, like to, to go buy a dime bag them.
1: Yeah, I mean they may go a little weird. They may become a little eccentric, but they don't lose a moral compass like they do when when you're strung out on something.
0: No, they might be like, oh, well, maybe if I maybe if I go pawn my record player, I can go get like, you know an eighth <laughs> or something, like you know, or like you know something stupid like that. That like you know something that costs like fifty bucks that they'll be able to go back and get next week when they get their paycheck, you know, yeah, kind of deal. Uh, yeah, you and know. you know,
1: there's these the the, the difference between um. You know, somebody who's a regular marijuana user who doesn't get their fix and an opiate user that doesn't get their fix is an opiate user that doesn't get their fix goes crazy and just, you know, is in (laughs) misery until they can find a way to fix it. And the marijuana user who doesn't get their thing is just like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, you know what, man? Yeah, it's just (laughs) like, you know what? They feel a little bit of the misery, but it's not like it ruins their whole life. It's like, ah, dude, that's just really lame.
0: Yeah and then you're like, "Ah, you know what? Ah, you know, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll call up my buddy and maybe he's has you know. You know, and then you you know, and then you call a friend and, and your friends like, "Hey man, yeah, come over." And you're like, "All right." Like, "All right, good. Now ne-, you know, now we're in good shape, you know." It's like, you know. But but if you know, you, you know, you call up your good buddy for heroin and he's scratching his neck like, "Oh man, I don't have any left, you know. I just got
1: this yeah, little bit." You, you, know, you know, if if somebody uses marijuana regularly and they can't get it for a couple of days, they may feel some withdrawals, but it doesn't ruin their life. No. For those I mean, you can still watch a movie and you know forget the fact that you're not high for a few hours. Oh, you, sure. You're, when you're a heroin addict,
0: you can't do that. You can't forget the fact that you're not on heroin.
1: Yeah, you can't forget that. You, well, you can't leave your mind for more than a, more than a second can, or two. You can forget
0: the fact that you're on heroin, but but, but, <laughs> but you can't forget the fact that you're not on heroin. Right so so yeah all right I anyway it, enough jokes and enough, enough enough yeah enough. <laughs> so any final comments for
1: today's program or are you, or are you all tapped out rest in peace philip seymour hoffman absolutely great actor. Uh, watch the master watch yeah. happiness happiness is a great uh weird strange movie uh philip seymour hoffman plays a creepy creep as creepy as you can get uh, another great role of his and uh that's you know too bad so such a such a talented guy such yeah. a smart yeah uh, it's so sad well just, when stuff like that happens
0: you know they, it happens to the best of them so but uh, yeah so rest in peace Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah definitely so but um on a little bit of a lighter note uh we're on Stitcher now so James why don't you tell us, tell our viewers a little bit about that and Yeah, where uh, they, where just, they can uh, Nation subscribe. is
1: now available on Stitcher, which is an app that you can download for your mobile device, uh, Android or iOS. You can also go to stitcher.com on your web. Uh, not that you need to. Uh, you can go right to dosenation.com and listen to the podcast. But if you are traveling and you like to listen to podcasts on your phone or mobile device, download the Stitcher app, search Dose Nation, add it to your favorites, and it will pop in there every week automatically.
0: Yes, it will. Yep. And that's uh, that, and that's a fantastic thing. That leaves no work for you, <laughs> so there's no excuse. Anyway, uh, yeah, you can also find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/forward/slash/DoseNation. That's you know uh, somebody commented and, and they said I really like the Facebook page. It's sort of become like the blog, and I I I, I wasn't really around for the blog, but I I I. I I sort of agree because I post a lot of news articles on there and mainly I manage the Facebook page. I don't know how much you post on there James but um
1: I yeah uh, t- to be honest with you a couple months ago I almost stopped going to Facebook altogether except for a couple every I go there maybe twice a week to check my messages but I really don't have time to go and look at Facebook. I always go to face whenever I go to Facebook I get caught up in something, you know, some comment or post that somebody makes that gets into my head and just sort of derails me for the whole day. And, um, uh, I, it's, it's just hard for me to keep noise out of my head on a daily basis and not going to Facebook is one of the ways that I, I keep noise out of my head. So I apologize for not being more visible on Facebook or social media, but you know, I, it's just, it's just almost too much for me.
0: And I don't like it much either, but you know, I mean, I mean, I have to use it because, because it's, it...
1: I, I use it to keep in touch with people. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's, there's some people that I only keep in touch with on Facebook and a lot of people who listen to the podcast who contact me or uh, who know me through the blog, uh, who I know on Facebook. And I, I always love it when people write me and ask me questions or say, Hey, I heard this, or I saw you on that. That's always fun. Um, but, uh, that's, that's really where my, where my uh, interaction on Facebook sort of starts and stops is just, uh, I use it more like an email and messaging service than to actually go and post nifty stuff
0: yeah so uh but but we do have a Facebook page, and you can follow us there and we post a lot of you know articles pictures yeah Oh, yeah and I do read the like comments that.
1: that people post on Facebook i do I do check the comments on the Facebook page, so yeah, yeah people will go there, uh, leave a comment for us, and we will uh you know maybe we'll read it on the air, especially yeah. if you're like angry and, and like trying to troll us. yeah, then well, <laughs> well then
0: we'll definitely read it yeah, yeah, yeah the, 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 then it's guaranteed no <laughs> yeah, so no, and we have Facebook uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter. You can go to Twitter.com forward slash DoseNation, and, and uh, we also have a SoundCloud account, SoundCloud.com forward slash DoseNation. Uh, and uh, if there are a few videos up on the YouTube channel, uh, you can go to YouTube.com forward slash DoseNationTV, or dose nation Video, sorry. I always screw that up, but I, it's dose nation video. Uh You can go there and you can find uh, a few YouTube videos that we have posted up and uh, so on, so... And, uh, also, uh, James, uh, why don't you tell everybody about the Amazon click-throughs?
1: Yeah, you can, uh, if you're buying things on Amazon, uh, you probably know about their affiliate program. You can go to Dose Nation first and click the Amazon button at the very top of the page, or you can scroll down a little bit and click the Psychedelic Information Theory banner, uh, pop over to Amazon, uh, buy a copy of the book, do your shopping, and, uh, we get a little bit of affiliate kickback for that. And, uh, that's a really easy way to support the show by shopping for stuff that you want anyway. So, yep, happy, 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 happy.
0: Yep. (laughs) There we go. Everybody's
1: happy. So,
0: well, I hope everybody, uh, has a great week. I hope everybody had a great week and, uh, continues to, uh, endure the weather well. And, uh, I hope that, uh, you know, everybody who's uh, feeling a little down, I hope you, uh, feel a little more up. I hope you, uh, start, uh. Start feeling the positive vibes, man. No, Uh, not to put it that way, but, uh, you know, it's been a good uh, it's been a good week. And let's try to make uh, make this week a good week, too. So
1: 2014 is going to be a legit positive year. You know, well, we're all going to grow better and better every day.
0: Well, I mean, I I think that that's the goal is that we want to grow as, uh, you know, no no, no no, you know, is that we want to uh try to uh bring some kind of uh positivity on the ground. Yeah, keep it positive. Keep you it know? on the
1: positive tip everybody.
0: Well, I and I think that Father Nicholas would agree, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you know, but though the, though he did say some days are just boring. <laughs> but other days, you know, uh, you know, but that's just life, so. Anyway, stay safe everybody. Try not to do heroin. Uh, if you can uh please and if
1: you do be safe be, be be a safe maintenance user and don't overdo it
0: yeah please be safe uh you know that's and that's one of the one, one of the number one things that we advocate here at destination is safety be safe please for not only for your sake but for the safety of others too so be safe yep all right everybody be safe have fun and have a good morning good afternoon or good evening wherever you're listening in the world I'm your host, Jake Kennel, and of course, with me, as always, is founder of DoseNation.com and author of psychedelic information theory, James Kent. James, thank you for being here,
1: as always. Thank you, Jake. Have a good week, everybody.
0: Yep, have a good week. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.